0: Episode 107 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now.
1: Hi, my name is Pietro Marsala, and I am the first insulin treated uh,
0: diabetic pilot to be certified for a first class medical. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to episode number 107 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today is a special episode. It's a story that I've never told before. And who thought that? Here we are 107 episodes in and we haven't repeated too many stories from here on out. But today I am recording with my buddy Pietro Marsala He is a uh, young pilot. He's in his 20s. He uh, was going after this career blown, and he came into a few setbacks. He found out that he had type 1 diabetes and if you're familiar with type 1 diabetes and first class medicals, that's not possible. So his dreams were crushed. He found out that he could not do what he wanted to do. He could not become an airline pilot, but he did not give up. He was actually a CFI during the whole time flying, keeping track of all his stats and what his body was telling him. And he was able to use all that information to become the very first pilot with a first-class medical that is type 1 diabetic and on insulin. Uh, It is an amazing story and one that I am just super honored to hear him and and have him on to share. And his dedication to becoming a pilot is just something that I just love to see. And it's really refreshing to hear. He has truly faced a lot of adversity in his short, short career that he's had. And he is going to be set up for a lot of success once uh, coronavirus is done having its way with our industry. But Aviation, I'm super excited Excited to share this episode, Pietro. It is a great one for sure. Uh, if you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Patreon. Special shout out to Matteo Caliqueri for being our Patreon of the week. If you'd like to be the Patreon of the week, go to Patreon.com/slash the Pilot. We also only have five hats left. That's right. Five hats left. They are all black. Shoppilotthepilot.com. Hoping to get some more hats here maybe in the next month or two with uh, everything going in quarantine. Everything's extended out. So keep you updated there. But make sure to follow us on Instagram at Piotthepilot. And yeah, that's about all I have for you now. Oh, last thing. I am now hosting with Anchor as you've heard with the ads. With Anchor, one of the great things that we can do is you can ask me a question and I can feature it in the episode. So on my Instagram, I saved it on my highlights. There's a link there for you to swipe up. You can ask me a question. I'm going to start doing monthly or weekly, possibly ask me any things where I have your answer and your voice asking me that on the podcast. So it could be pretty cool. Check it out, head to my Instagram and do that. Aviation, that's all I have for you right now. So without any further ado, here's Pietro Marsala. What's going on, Pietro? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me, man. No problem, man. I'm I'm really excited to have you on and share your story. I saw your post. What was it? Probably about two or three days ago, and immediately someone tagged me in it, and I reached out, and we already have it set up within like two days. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it's just it's been a wild few days. That was actually one of my good buddies uh, that tagged you in that and said you needed you needed to reach out to me. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you reaching
0: out and. Um yeah, I'm excited to do this. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's uh you got a great story and I'm sure it has your fair share of hardships and now you're you're kind of celebrating a high and it's kind of kind of sucks that you're celebrating this high when the industry in such a terrible time. But nonetheless, it is a very, very kind of instrumental and monumental thing. So I'm, I'm excited to to celebrate this with you and share your story here on the podcast. Uh, the first thing I always want to ask and want to find out is just what was the original inspiration? What was the why for you getting involved with aviation in the first place?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in uh, Chicago. Um, I I uh, grew up near O'Hare uh, in the suburbs of Chicago, near O'Hare. Um, so yeah, so I grew up near O'Hare and, um, you know, just being around O'Hare and all the uh, busy traffic that O'Hare has, um, it was just hard not to look when you're passing the airport. Um, obviously, being from Chicago yourself, you um, you you know that you can't really miss it. Um, so yeah, so I, my parents are Italian immigrants. And when I was a kid, uh, my parents always used to take us back to Italy because the majority of my family still lives in Italy. My aunts, uncles, grandparents um, cousins. And so they would make it a point to bring us there every year to make sure we knew, we knew our family, uh, in Italy. And so every year we would take a, every year, every other year, we take a summer vacation. Um, and my dad knew how much I loved airplanes and airports and all the above. And so, um, when I was a kid, he would, you know, he would, he would tell me two weeks before the trip, Hey, you know, make sure you, you better be on your best behavior. Or I'm not taking you up to the cockpit. Cause he knew that that was always what I wanted to do during the flight. This was pre nine 11, obviously. Um, so he'd take me up to the flight deck and, um, with the, uh, with the flight attendant. And, uh, he would, you know, he'd tell me again, two weeks before the, uh, before the flight, you better be on your best behavior or you're not going to have that privilege. And so he would, uh, he walked me up there during the flight in the middle of the night over the Atlantic. And I just remember, uh, the flight attendant, uh, opening that door and me going in, in the middle of the flight. And it was just the best feeling just looking around. It was just in awe with everything going on. Um, and I was really shy. I thought, you know, I would be, yeah, I was probably like five or six, maybe. Um, I thought I would be, you know, full of questions for the pilots and, and whatnot. But I just kind of stared at them like they were almost superheroes. And I just I was kind of shy. But uh, looking around, I, I, kind of, I, I kind of got the feeling from that point that this is where I wanted to be one day.
0: Do you think your parents knew that this was kind of something you wanted to do for a career then? Or do you think they just thought of like some novelty thing? Like, you know, Kids like planes, kids like buses, kids like trains, but it would wear off. Do you think that they actually knew that this is a, the career path you wanted to go down at such an early age?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny is, is, they were saying it before I was, you know, we'd get to Italy and they'd be telling our family, my son's going to be a pilot one day. And, you know, I was thinking that in my head, but they knew, I mean, I think they could see to in my eyes that I would, you know, I always wanted the window seat. I was always, you know, fighting with my brother over the window seat, not that he wanted to look outside, but you know, he, he wanted to sleep and it, it was, was obviously more comfortable on the window. He could rest his head there. But I was always that kid that wanted to be uh, fighting with everybody over the window seat, but I'd be looking outside the entire time. And, um, yeah, I think, I think they knew to answer your question. I, th- I think they had an idea and, um, it wasn't later, it wasn't until later in life that I knew, uh, that for sure, this is what I wanted to do. Uh, when I was a kid, we moved to to Phoenix and that's where I, cu- I currently live. Um, and I got, I, I begged my mom to get me a uh, Microsoft flight simulator. It was Microsoft flight sim, uh, 2002 on the PC. And, uh, so I started, uh, messing with that. And, you know, before you knew it, I just, I was 11 years old and, uh, flying this around. I used to make my parents and my brother sit behind me. We had a couch in the office and I'd make them sit behind me and act like they were my passengers. No way. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, That's hilarious. Yeah, it was fun. I, and I, and I, of course I would, I would fly it in real time. Um, so I'd take off out of like Chicago and, you know, I'd fly, uh, fly it into, uh, Rome or wherever I was going in real and, time in real time. So I would set the autopilot. They would obviously leave. They weren't able to, I mean, they, they couldn't stand more than a half hour, 45 minutes of that. Um, but of course I'd sit there with my little, uh, Microsoft sidewinder, the joystick and, uh, fly it across. And then I would put it on autopilot. Um, I'd sleep on that couch in the office, put it on autopilot and set my alarm to time it to where, you know, I'd be coming over Portugal or Spain or whatever. And, uh, I would time it to where I'd hand fly it into Rome when I'm entering Europe uh and so i I just i've always had that uh that desire
0: that's crazy that's a long flight to do real time
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean i I was sleeping for most of it over the atlantic
0: but uh but uh, yeah i used to set the alarm and wake up and hand flight in that's awesome um how old was that like immediately so like you said five or six you go in the cockpit when you go over to italy um was this like kind of immediate laughter for the next couple years you'd be doing this or is this kind of a thing that you did in your teenage years
1: that was yeah my teenage years yeah you know um that was my video game, right? Uh, you know, I used to be on that thing all the time. I'd come home from school and, um, my parents used to make me finish my homework. And then I was able to, if, you know, once the sun goes down and I was done playing outside, I'd come home, go upstairs into that office after dinner and just sit there and just fly around, fly missions on flight simulator or, um, just, just anything, every, all, all kinds of airplanes, not just uh commercial aviation, like I, where I want to be, but yeah, I just come around and, uh, go upstairs and and fly it. That's
0: awesome. Would you do like VATSIM stuff? Would you actually talk to people? I don't even know if VATSIM was kind of a thing back then though. So maybe it was just kind of a more computer and more just like one-on-one, just you flying on it.
1: Yeah, it was just more me flying on it. Um, I was, you know, trying to figure out how to download files and, uh, you know, put libraries in there and, uh, you know, uh, download different types of planes and, uh, you know, the American airlines paint scheme and all the rest of them that I liked at the time.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I've heard of people playing flight slam. I've heard of people doing real time. And I actually, I flew with a guy, aerial Survey, who he kind of did a similar thing. He would he would come over school, do his homework, and he'd like set up like a long range flight. He'd fly from like um, New York to Sydney, Australia, or I don't know what that's oh, wow. But he would like actually fly it like real time. He'd take a nap, he'd go take some food, and he'd like make the calls and pretend he was an airline pilot. I don't know if he made his brother and sister and family sit behind him for passengers, which is pretty funny, (laughs) but he would do it too. So you're definitely not alone in that. I think that flight simulators definitely played a a huge role in a lot of pilots' lives and a lot of pilots' careers. And it's really cool seeing how many different options we have now with uh, Infinite Flight, with X-Plane, and there's a couple more that I'm not thinking of right now, but with Flight Simulator coming back, you know, with, uh, there's still going to be a pilot shortage down the road. It's going to be interesting to see if uh, future pilots come up because they started playing those again.
1: Yeah, definitely. It was you know it was interesting because I was in high school um, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. To be honest, you know all these all, all my friends were like, "Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that," um, and I was just I was indecisive of what I wanted to do. Believe it or not, I wasn't sure. I honestly had I had doubts in myself. I didn't know if I was smart enough to be a pilot. You know. Um and so I, I was like I don't know if this is for me and so the counselor's like well what are you doing next year and I, it's like you know uh March or April and I'm like I have no idea she's like well what do you like and I was like I like airplanes she's like so do you want to be a pilot I'm like uh, I guess and so um I did and I I uh I got this magazine from her I think it was I forget what magazine it was but it was a flying magazine and uh I'm just like flipping through it one day in the middle of summer and I see this ad in there and it says, come fly in Phoenix or sunny Phoenix, Arizona. And I saw the, uh, the school and it was a local school here in Phoenix. Um, and so I went to check it out, uh, with my mom and I walk in and, um, I set up an appointment to go uh, tour the school and everybody's in uniform. And like I said, I liked everything about the industry, not just, um, not just the, 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 the airplane aspect of it. I liked the terminals, uh, the airplanes, uh, you know, the pilots, the way they dress, the way the crew walk, they just walked with such confidence through the terminals. And I used to just watch them like staring at them awkwardly. But, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, I went to go check the school out and immediately before the tour was even done, I looked at my mom while the guy was in front of us walking us through. And I was like, this is where I want to be at. That was the first and only school I've ever checked out. I didn't even, I didn't even do my homework. I just literally walked into the school. I was like, this is where I want to be. And so, uh, yeah, they signed me up and, uh, the rest was history. I've worked for that same company. Uh, I finished my training through there and I'll, I'll get through the story, but, uh, I finished my training there uh, as an instructor and I'm, I'm currently still employed by the same, uh, same company.
0: That's awesome. How old were you when you actually went through your training? Was this senior high school? I imagine. Um,
1: so about six months after I graduated, so I, <clears throat> I graduated in 2009 and, uh, December 1st, 2009. Um, I started uh, flight flight
0: Okay, cool. So at, we had a similar similar track. I graduated in high school in 2018 or 2008. I don't know I said 2018. 2008. And uh, I did my first flight lesson in 2010. So not too far after you. And when we, it's kind of funny because we, we're in a bad situation now with kind of coronavirus and the effects. And But even then, that was a terrible time to be a pilot too, to start training. That was when flight instructors are making no money whatsoever. You had to have way more than 1500 hours to get a regional airline pilot job. And it was not, it was not good. You know, it just didn't look good. And people would tell me actively to not go into this industry. Did you find the same thing?
1: So I had no previous aviation uh, knowledge or experience. I didn't really to be honest with you. I didn't really look too far into it. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't really talk to any pilots. I didn't know any pilots at the time. I didn't have a family history of aviation. And so I figured they, make, they, made, they made good money because they fly these huge jets uh, as airline pilots. And I just, I didn't, uh, I didn't really look at the salaries or anything and then I got to flight school and it was a rude awakening. Um, I remember being in my training and, and it was hard. I mean, I mean, I think most people can relate at the student pilot level that um, it, it's, it's not easy and there's a lot of ups and downs and a lot of highs and a lot of lows in, in flight training. And like I said, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. And of course, during the lows, I'm like, do I really want this? And then I'm hearing, you know, from my peers and fly instructors at the school, they're telling me, you know, essentially how much they're making and how much there's, how much, you know, regional airline pilots are making. I think one guy told me that Great Lakes was paying like $16,000 a year. Uh, And I was like, well, wait, what do you mean? Uh, I was like, you got to be kidding. There's pilots flying people around making that low of wages. I was like, do I really want this? Is it really worth all that? I mean, can, I mean, flying is fun and all, but, can I make a living off of it? It was kind of a scary time. to um, But nonetheless, I'm uh, thrilled that I stayed with it.
0: What do you think was that got you past the fact that the pay was so low and kind of the morale of pilots was at an all-time low? What, was it just your love of flying? Was it just that you just couldn't imagine yourself really doing anything else? Or was there anything in particular that really made you stick with it?
1: Yeah, it was It was a combination. Um, I'm really close with my family. Uh, and so, you know, I talked it over with them and, you know, when I came home discouraged with those words and those guys, you know, looking back at it now, those instructors, they were just, they were just being real with me. They weren't trying to scare me off or anything, just trying to give me the, the, the reality of the industry and, you know, kind of, uh, uh, give me a feel of what I was going to get into, um, so I, uh, you know, I was a combination. My parents were like, well, this is what you've always said you wanted to do. You've always been around airplanes. You've been doing that simulator game thing since you were a kid.
0: <laughs> the and, simulator game thing. <laughs> yeah,
1: they didn't think exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, they're like, what do you mean? Well, what are you going to do? And of course I'm like, all right, well, I might as well finish off uh, my private. I might as well continue, uh, for now and, and see where life goes. You know, things can change. And my dad was like, you know, things change in industries. You never know where this is going to lead you. Um, They don't make that kind of money forever. Just, you know, suck it up, finish school, do what you got to do. You want this. You're going to be the type of kid where if you if you stop going to school, you're immediately going to go back into it because you're going to miss it. So, um, yeah, it was just the passion I had for flying. uh, You know, there was there was a lot going on. I think it was a lot for an 18 year old. And honestly, if I had to maybe if I had to do it again, um, I probably would have started a little bit later uh, because I wasn't quite ready at the time at 18 years old to take on that big of a challenge because it is it's a lot of work. Um, and it requires you to put your effort in and at 18, um, maybe I just
0: wasn't ready. Um, I would agree. Even when I started at 20, it was kind of like, I wasn't mature enough. I would say to kind of, uh, really take it as serious as I should have. I probably didn't study as hard as I could have. I, I definitely had to repeat lessons just because I didn't put in the effort beforehand. And it was kind of like playing catch up once I was actually there. So it just, I didn't make the best of my time. And I re- relate that to a maturity level and relate that to maybe being too young. And it is hard. I mean, some people are different. Some people are know what they want. They're ready to go and they uh, attack it right away. And other people kind of like learn and learn on the go. And it's like, crap, I don't want to do that again. I need to save money. You need to do this. So everyone's different in what they're doing. And I definitely agree with you that sometimes the younger you are, maybe... Maybe it's still good to go fly, but you need to understand the, the the maturity and what this actually, what it takes to become a successful pilot, and what it takes to get your ratings and to do it quickly, or to even do it at a Part sixty one school. So it definitely takes a, a high level of maturity for sure.
1: Definitely, it was uh, yeah, it definitely was a challenge. And to be honest with you, looking back, it was like, you know, I had a, uh, I, it was, I was eighteen, I had a girlfriend at the time, and I had distractions. I was working part time. Um, and honestly, I love the fact of, I, I love the idea of, you know, going flying around. It was so much fun. I used to fly once a day, once every other day, I used to do some ground lessons with my instructor and, you know, had the uniform. And honestly, I loved the uniform. It looked cool. You know, we wear these, uh, airline pilot uniforms, um, at this flight school I work at. And so at the time, uh, you know, I thought that was the coolest thing at 18 years old, wearing a uniform, having a girlfriend and, you know, working part-time on the side and, it was tough because I would take one step forward and two steps back, um, just because I would go to flight school, uh, three days a week. And it was hard to pick up where you left off on the following Monday. I'd go like Monday through Wednesday and then, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday at work and then come back on Monday and it would be challenging because, you know, it, as you know, if you're not consistent with flight training, it becomes uh, a really hard task and a really hard and really hard to complete.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And, uh, did that last throughout your whole training or was there kind of a moment where you kind of put everything no. else aside and you just focused and try to get it done.
1: Yep. I was, uh, I was working this job at a, at a call center, uh, just part-time, like I said, and I got to a point where I was like, wow, I'm, you know, I was at, I was 19 at the time. And I'm like, why am I doing this for what to, to pay a car payment or to have a little bit of extra cash to take my girlfriend out to dinner? I'm like, this isn't worth it at all. I'm like this. I, and that's, I think that was the deciding factor for me to go to school full time. And I'm really happy that I had that experience of starting at part-time and then going to work in this call center where I was in this cubicle. And I was like, this is so boring. I can't believe I'm here right now. And so I went home one night and I, I told my parents, I said, you know, guys, I need your help. And they're like, well, what's going on? And I'm like, I want to go to school full time. And of course, my dad's like, first, you're telling me you don't know if you want to go to school anymore. Now you're telling me you want to go full time.
0: Make up your mind, kid. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and so it did. I said, "I need your guys' financial be- uh, support." I've always had their emotional support, but their financial support, in the sense that, um, are you guys going to be able to help me out? You know, I won't spend a lot of cash. Uh, if you guys could just help me out and allow me to go to school full time, that would be extremely helpful. I talked it over with my instructor, and my instructor was like, "You have so much potential. Your issue is that you're you're not here enough." He's like, "I think you would fly through flight training. This is for you. Trust me. I've seen plenty of people get through these programs." And you're good at this. You really are. He's like, and you're going to make it through. He's like, you just need to be able to dedicate the time to put aside to study and, um, you know, and to be here five days a week. If you're here five days a week, you're going to zip through this. Cause I mean, my private took me forever to finish. I think I, I was almost a year and a half to finish the private. Cause I was all part-time. Uh, and next thing, you know, I do my instrument rating in three months. Uh, when I went part, when I went full, when I went on full-time uh, and so I, I was flying through the program, did the commercial in less than two months. And I know for ATP standards, that's not high, but, uh, um, for this flight school in particular, it was, it was, it was quick. So I was able to dedicate full time and, and, uh, that's what I did. I finished my training, my parents supported me and I, uh, I focused on school full time and it was a lot easier from that point
0: forward. Yeah. And it's definitely, a lot of people listen to us might not have the luxury of being able to to have their parents for support, but if you have the ability to go full-time, it's definitely going to make a, a difference if you can attack it and really get it done. Because the more you're there, the more you fly, the 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 better you kind of retain things and the better you can apply that. There's not that kind of like rusty day where you got to go up and knock off the rust for an hour, you know, got to go back and do some basics, got to go back and do landings. You can just keep attacking and attacking and attacking. And there's nothing wrong with working too. Like if, if you need to work, by all means work, just try to fly as much as you can. Like. I had to work through training. I worked at part-time at the Apple store. So I was fixing phones okay. and selling laptops. And then I would go to the flight school yeah. whenever I could. And it it, it works. It, it Everything can work for someone else, you know, just because maybe you didn't want that job doesn't mean that someone else can't, you know what I'm saying? It, it You can do it either Absolutely. way.
1: Yeah, definitely. My, and by all means, my, my parents uh, are not rich and they, they made a lot of sacrifices for me to do that. And to this day, I'm just incredibly grateful for everything that they did. Uh, to get me to this point, and it, and I'll, it'll lead up to this when we're talking. But um, yeah, it was an emotional emotional day the other day for all of us. Um, For that reason, my parents made a lot of sacrifices for me to get through school.
0: It sounds like it, and we're we're pretty much getting to that point And what what the the interview is based off of, and how you caught my attention. But so you you made the decision around nineteen years old to stop going or to full, make this full time to kind of quit your job, make this full time, and attack it right. And you were able to finish things very quick.
1: Yeah, definitely, it was. Uh, in the middle of my training, actually, I was getting ready to, uh, well, I was, I just started my commercial multi-engine training in January, 2012 and, or was it 2011? No, it was, uh, it was 2012 and I finished my training. I'm sorry. I started my, my, uh, commercial flight training and w- within weeks of starting my commercial flight training, um, I'm starting to feel weird, uh, physically, uh, my health wise, I was starting to feel fatigue. I lost about 10 pounds in the span of a week, um, and my diet, my diet wasn't really changing. I was eating the same things I, I'd always ate, uh, I'd always ate. And, uh, and so I lose 10 pounds in a week. Um, my mouth is just really dry. I'm waking up in the middle of the night, urinating more because, um, you know, obviously drinking more and I can, I can never quench my thirst and I'm just constantly drinking water and I just feel really weird. And so I told my mom, Hey, look, I don't know what's up with me, but I'm not feeling that great. And she goes, all right, well, let's go to a doctor and see what's going on. And so I do. Um, and I walk into my family physician and uh he looks at us and he says, Okay, well, these are uh symptoms of of diabetes. And I'm like, Diabetes? What in the, I'm 21 years old, man, and I I had no idea what diabetes was, that there were that there were different types, right? I, I had no knowledge of diabetes at all, other than I knew my grandparents uh had type two diabetes uh in their old age and they and they used to prick their fingers with uh, uh or they used to prick their fingers and, and draw some blood uh to get a glucose reading. And so I, I, had no knowledge of it. And so he's like, do you have a family history of it? And my mom obviously says, yeah, our, his grandparents do of uh, type two diabetes. And he goes, okay, well, we're going to run, uh, we're going to run some lab results and, uh, figure out if this is what we think it is. So of course in my head, I'm, I'm thinking I'm honestly in denial. I'm like, there's, there's no diabetes really at 21. And I've always, you know, I, I feel like I'm a pretty fit guy and I've always been an athlete. You know, I played soccer my whole life. And so I was like, this, these things happen to people that uh, you know, don't want, don't take care of themselves. And it was just a, a misunderstanding, of course, that I had, I'm like, this is, this can't be me. Right. And so, uh, the lab results come back and I'm like, all right. So the lab results come in and they confirmed it was type two diabetes. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I'm sitting, they call they call us back in, uh, cause apparently that's how it works. So if, if something's not good, they typically call you in in person cause they want to educate you. And, Kind of you know, guide you and 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 whatnot uh, for what's to come in life, and so I'm sitting there in the uh, doctor's office in 2012, and my brother is looking on his phone. And of course, I'm crying. I'm too emotional to like even think straight at that time. Um, and so my brother looks on his phone immediately because he knew that my concern was uh, uh, flying. And so he uh, he looks up on his phone and he says, "No, no, no it says here that you can still fly." Um, as long as you're on oral medication, and so I'm like, uh, all right, so I get through that day. They educate me on what type two diabetes is and uh, kind of how I got to watch my blood sugars. Well, I immediately had to go on insulin. Uh, and that, and for those of you who don't know uh, or aren't familiar with insulin, insulin's a drug that uh, is used for uh, patients that uh, or people that have diabetes, whether that's type one or type two, if their body doesn't create enough in- insulin. And so the different types of diabetes are one and two. Uh, They told me I had type two diabetes and that it could be managed with oral medication and exercise along with diet. um, If I do it correctly, Um, type one patients are forced to use insulin. And so I was the type two. I was the lucky type, right, Uh, in the sense of being a pilot. And so I'm like, okay, well, it's not the end of the world. It looks like the FAA is saying that I need to take six months, uh, stabilize on these meds um, and then show that I can be stable without the insulin. Uh, and just diet and exercise along with my oral medications, and I can get my first class medical back. I'm like, okay, all right, that's not the end of the world. There's worse things in life, right? Well, um, fast forward uh, about ten months later, eleven months later, um, I was off the oral medication uh, after six months. I'm sorry, I was off the insulin after six months and stabilized on the oral medication, and I got my first class medical back uh, with a special issuance for type two diabetes. Um, about three, four months after that go by, and, um, I'm starting to feel weird again. Uh, and so I'm like, I don't know what's going on in my blood sugar. Cause I test my blood sugar at the time with a finger stick. So I'm testing and I'm testing just a little bit higher, uh, glucose values than I had been the previous months when I was on the insulin. Um, so my mom's like, okay, I think we need to go for a second opinion. And I think we need to go see an endocrinologist. And so, um, I, I do that. And I go see an endocrinologist and he looks at me and he says, I'm sorry, but you don't fit the bill of a type two diabetic. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're fit. Uh, he's like, you're uh you're in shape. Um, he goes, typically that's not what we see with type two patients, typically. Um, and I'm like, okay. He's like, I need to run this test on you. Did they run this test? And I don't remember exactly what the test is, but he said, Did they run the specific test on you when they did? Um, your lab results with your doctor, and I'm like, I have no idea. I'm just like 21 year old kid, and I have no idea what you're talking I'm about. Like, what
0: do you, know? you think, man? Come on, I didn't go to med school. You tell me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, why don't you look at my paperwork and figure out if, if that was done? I'm not sure. I don't even I just know to fly what you're
0: playing, bro. Yeah, <laughs>
1: exactly. And so he knew the importance, and I kept stressing to him that look, I'm a pilot. Like, my, you know, my my goal is to get to an airline, and I can't be type one. And he's like, well, I, I, let's not jump. Conclu- let's not jump to the end here. Let's let's figure out. Uh, what's going on with you? Let's get you healthy first, and we'll, we'll figure the rest out. And I'm like, okay. He runs this test. He confirms it's type uh, one diabetes, and then I would have to go on insulin immediately. And uh, that was probably harder than the time I got diagnosed uh, originally with diabetes because I knew what that meant. I did. I had done my research, and my homework at that point to know that that was the end of my uh, commercial aviation uh, dreams. So, yeah. So he he diagnosed me there with type one diabetes, and I wasn't. Uh, 2012, and so immediately I had to lose my medical again, and really quick. Actually, I I, I miss one part of the story I want to include in there. Right before I lost my medical for the second time, when I had type two diabetes at the time when I was misdiagnosed, I started flying with a guy here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, kind of short story on him. I meet this guy in an Albertsons grocery store, and I'm in uniform, just grabbing my mom. Some uh, I don't know what I was grabbing at the store, but I'm in I'm in I'm at the store and this guy is in front of me and he turns around and looks right at me and says, um, who do you fly for? You know, obviously being in the uniform. And I said, well, I'm, I'm still in flight school at the time. I was still, uh, working on my instrument or I'm sorry, I was still, yeah, I was still working on my instrument rating. And he turns to me and says, you know, who do you fly for? And I told him, well, I I, I'm, I'm in school, uh, still. And, uh, you know, I'm working on becoming a commercial pilot. He goes, oh, okay, cool. He goes, how many hours do you have? And I knew from that second, you know, as pilots, we get a lot of questions out there, especially in uniform. Um and when somebody says how many hours you have, that's not a typical general public question from no. my experience. How many miles do you, you know, know? It's
0: like hours? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> he goes, how, how many hours do you have? And so I'm like, um I, I was like, I don't know, like 150 at the time or whatever, I had in my log book. He goes, Oh, cool. He goes, I was like, uh you a pilot? And he goes, Yeah, I, I fly myself as well. Um I was like, oh cool. And I was like, uh, who do you fly for? he goes, Well, actually, I'm uh uh I fly a part ninety-one operation out of Scottsdale, I fly a Falcon jet. And I'm like, whoa. I'm like, that's awesome. And so we start talking for a few minutes and he hands me his card. And, uh, you know, I, I take the card and I'm like, yeah, right. This guy's never going to take me seriously. He said, you know, keep, uh, you know, let's keep in contact. And maybe one day I can use you when you get your commercial or whatever. And he goes, why don't you come check out the airplane at the hangar? And so I go home that night and I'm sitting on the sim and I don't know why this is one of the dumbest moves I've ever made in my life. But I look at the card and I'm like, this guy's never going to take me seriously. So I grab his card, I rip it in half and I throw it in my trash can. And now looking back at that, I realized that was one of the dumbest things (laughs) I ever could have done. Yeah, and so I go to school the next day and I tell my instructor this and he's like, you're kidding. He's like, these opportunities don't just fall in your lap. You do not burn bridges in aviation. I'm like, well, I'm not burning a bridge. He's like, well, dude, he's like, go find that business card and call this guy. He's like, even though you're not eligible at the moment to fly with him, you know, reach out to him, go check out the airplane. And it's always good to have contacts like that, man. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, so i like so I go I, I put on some latex gloves that night. I go through the trash can uh outside and I find it. Um and I call the guy and he goes, Oh yeah, I remember you. You're the kid from uh out in Albertson's from uh you know that flight school. Yeah, you're the kid so that threw like, up
0: my, my, my card.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't I didn't tell him that. And it's, yeah, it's I funny actually yesterday I, I called Chris on the phone and I told him that story for the first time after eight years and he was laughing. Um but yeah, I went to go check out the airplane, and, and sure as heck, I got my commercial certificate. I had type two diabetes. Fast forwarding again to where I was in the story, um, and I call him up, and he says, "Yeah, let's keep in contact. You know, you checked out the airplane. I'd love to have you on one of my trips. One of these days, I do a day trip. I'm going to use you." So I'm like, "All right, great." So he calls me one day, and he's like, "Hey, can you be at Scottsdale Airport in an hour?" He's like, "Wear blue slacks and a white shirt. Do you have a tie?" I'm like, "Uh, yeah, yeah." So, <laughs> um, so I race. Uh, you know, I, I drive over to the airport. And, uh, you know, he, he takes me out to Santa Monica with him and that was just the coolest experience because I'd never been in a flight deck in the flight levels. Um, I was always flying these smaller planes and, uh, you know, two weeks after that point where I did that first trip where he said he can start using me and he was going to start calling me. And I was just so excited about the opportunity while I'm building flight time, potentially becoming an instructor. I could, you know, fly this Falcon 2000 on the side as, a, you know, as a, you know, in 2012, I was what, 22, 23. Um, so, uh, I thought that was the coolest gig that I would have had. Um, and then two weeks later after that, I, I, I lose my medical again. So it was just heartbreaking, just
0: heartbreak one after the other. So, yeah, the two things, uh, the first thing talking about that story, meeting someone, you never know where you're going to meet someone that's involved in aviation and the kind of connections that you can make. So it's always important that you have in the back of your mind that the person or like if you're, if you're making a fuss about something, you never know who's around. You know, you never know the connections you're going to have. You never know who could be hiring you one day. So it, it's very important to hold yourself and to keep yourself accountable and make yourself look as professional as possible. I used to always preach about kind of being your own CEO and making sure you're you're presenting yourself and you're doing everything that you can possibly do to put your career first. And it's funny that you threw out his card because I'm sure other people have done the same thing. And I'm glad to see if I told you to go find that card because... Those kind of connections are what kind of make your career, you know, it give you the opportunities, the experiences for you to mold you into the pilot you're gonna be. And who knows from there, say if you if this did continue to work out and you got that job, and who knows where you where you could have gone from there. Second thing is it what this is more of a question. So you you mentioned that the more heartbreaking news is actually finding out you had type one the second time. What was So talking about the first time you were diagnosed with type 2, initially, like you found out you could still fly, what was kind of your mentality towards flying, where you're like, all right, I know you said that this is good, you can still be a pilot, where you kind of still just crushed and depressed? did you think that maybe you couldn't do it even though you did have type 2, or was there a bunch of uncertainty around that?
1: Yeah, initially there was the uncertainty, sure, I was like, oh, well, I mean, the FAA is tough, am, am I going to be able to qualify for, you know, a, a special issuance on a first class with type 2 diabetes, what hoops do I have to jump through? And it was basically just showing stabilization. Um, And so I thought that was a pretty obtainable goal at the time. I was like, I I can do that. I'm young enough. I'm still healthy enough. I can, I I know I can do this. But the type one, uh, when the diagnosis with type one, where it was a blanket no at the time from the FAA um, to, uh, to say no insulin wasn't allowed. And it was a banned drug. Uh, just that was the heartbreak because I knew there was nothing that at that time that I could do. It was out of my control, at least with type two. It was like, hey, get yourself in a position where you're healthy and we'll consider you. Well, type one, that was the opposite.
0: I was about to ask before we move on to talking more about type one was so someone listening to this right now that has maybe they're going through the same thing you're going through. They just got diagnosed with type two, they're in their flight training, or they actually have their ratings, they're flying for an airline. What does the process look like? Like I know you said, I, I mean, you hear about applying for a special issuance, but if someone doesn't actually go through that, they don't know what that requires. So you mentioned that you have to show six, that you have to show be off the drug for six months or be on the drug for six months to show kind of that your body can take it, that you're going to perform well with those kind of drugs in your system. But what is the process like with the FAA? Do you have, to have separate paperwork? Do you still go through MedExpress and just check a couple boxes and you talk about it with your doctor or what is kind of the process of applying for that special issuance?
1: Yeah. So the rules have kind of changed with, with insulin period in general, with type two. Um, and it's funny, I'll, I'll get there, but I, I spoke to an Alaska Airlines uh, captain last night, uh, who's a type two diabetic that's actually going on insulin and his, uh, and we, we spoke for about an hour last night and it was interesting conversation I had with him, but, uh, going back to your question. So how, you know, what was the process like? So I just met with my AME here in uh, here in Phoenix and it's funny, I, I have a different AME now cause the gentleman retired and I went in there and I said, Hey, um, uh you know here's the deal i have you know i have type 2 diabetes i'm looking to get a special insurance on a first class um i'm sorry uh on uh, yeah on a first class and he's like okay well here's what you got to do um to get there and so the guidelines were out uh were on the faa's website and so the ame just kind of went through it um and looked over you know what needed to be uh what, what what would qualify you to get this medication you had to stabilize yourself on the oral medication um for 6 months prior to you uh, touching an airplane um, on the, on the type two part. Um, and so that's what I did. I got myself on oral medication after I leaned off the insulin and showed stabilization. And then uh, the FAA was able to consider, uh, me for a first class at the time.
0: Gotcha. So then after those six months you could come back and just take a normal physical and you just had to be in the, your levels had to be in a certain range to get the first class.
1: Yeah, definitely. So they, you know, they wanted to see uh, documentation proving that you were stable, that you were seeing an endocrinologist for your diabetes. Um, and uh you were continuing uh, to take care of yourself, in other words, you know monitor your blood sugars, your diet um it was it was it was pretty lengthy paperwork, but nothing like what the first class now is all about um, so that the game has has changed quite a bit but i'm I'm excited about everything that 's to come like I said, I spoke to um, that Alaska Airlines captain last night who was diagnosed with type two diabetes like twenty years ago, and he 's been managing himself on uh on oral medication and the oral medication uh, is starting to wear off. His body is needing insulin uh, for his particular case. And so now that they changed the rules in uh, November 2019 um, for insulin-treated diabetes, period, whether you're a type 2 or type 1, uh, it, depending on your, your condition, some type 2 patients need insulin, all type 1 patients need insulin. So this guy was flying on oral medication for a long time. And now that the regulations have changed, where insulin is a drug that is approved now, um, he's obviously super excited about it. So he is on six month leave and trying to stabilize himself on the insulin, um, and so he can go back to work. And it's it's such a tough. You know, I, I've you've had one of my buddies, John uh, Roth, on your on your show before, um, and him and I are, are close friends now. And, uh, and so he him and I have always talked about that. This is going to benefit, not the new change in regulation, uh, is going to benefit not only, um, the type one patients that need insulin, but type two patients. There's a lot of, uh, airline pilots out there that currently have type two diabetes that manage it on oral medication and they would probably be better off on insulin because they can, you know, control themselves better. And so this is a huge change, not just for guys like myself, but so many other pilots out there that, you know, that could prolong their career if they were to go on insulin now and because so, they've, they've had that tough decision to make. Do I, before when insulin wasn't a drug that was approved, you've got two options. You either, you know, continue flying and, and, uh, be without insulin and potentially hurt your health or, you know, change the game and, and switch to insulin. And, uh, or at the time it was either feed your family, continue hurting your health or, uh, not work. Those were your options. And yeah, now the game not a decision
0: changed. anyone wants to be in a position to make at all. Um, what was, uh, why, why not insulin? What was kind of the FAA's basis for saying we're not allowing insulin? Was it just they didn't know the effects of the body? Because obviously insulin's been around long enough or they've, they've had people on di- that have diabetes that require insulin that they can do studies to see if it's still healthy. So, so what was their, their reason for not allowing insulin? Did they ever give you an answer?
1: Yeah, definitely. So the FAA's concern with insulin was uh, hypoglycemia. Um, and so for those of you not familiar with that term, uh, that is low blood sugars. Um, and so with a low blood sugar, because you're on insulin, um, there's a potential that you could go low. And the, again, if you don't monitor your blood sugar and you don't stay on top of it, there are these potentials. Sure. Of course. Um, and so the risk was, uh, passing out, honestly. Um, and so they, they didn't want to be, have any pious incapacitated, which of course is totally understandable. Um, And so, I mean, that was, that was a fair argument. Um, so my, uh, I guess what I'm getting at is every situation is different. Every case is different. And so, um, with the technology that we have at our disposal today, um, you know, with, uh, with monitoring systems, like what's called a a continuous glucose monitor or a CGM, um, uh, it is used to monitor your blood sugar without having to prick your finger and test your, your blood sugar. Um, this device allows you to uh, monitor your blood sugar without, again, without testing. It. And the way it works is it's a, it's a three component system. Um, it's got a sensor, a transmitter and a receiver. Um, the sensor is a sensor that you wear uh, that inserts into your skin. Uh, once every 10 days, you take it off like a bandaid, you attach a transmitter to the top of the sensor, and it sends a, uh, Bluetooth signal to your smart device telling you what your blood sugar is. And it updates you every five minutes. And that information is then sent to a cloud. Um, and that's how I get the FA my data of, uh, my stabilization. So they're able to track me every five minutes of my life. Oh, 24/7. Wow. That's yeah.
0: crazy. Someone at the yeah, FAA is logging on every five minutes. Like, uh, he's good. All right, <laughs> cool. He's good. Check. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, email the reports to him every couple of weeks. All right so you um you get this diagnosis from them you you find out you're actually type 1 now so this is kind of taking it a little bit back from where we were a couple minutes ago um did you I guess what was what was your thought process were you like you know you, you always hear this fight or flight you know so you hear this type one and in your mind right now it seems impossible did you kind of want to give it up or were you like all right this is my goal i've been doing this for so long i've earned this i deserve this i want this i'm gonna fight for it or you kind of just kind of did you give in to the fact that this is impossible and i'll never get my my uh, first class medical
1: well okay so I, I was crushed, obviously. Um, it took me a little bit. It wasn't like immediately. I was like, okay, type one, let's do it. I got it. I'm going to, I got, I'm going to do this. I I did not have that strength at that moment when they they told me I was diagnosed with type one diabetes to add to the pain. Um, I went to see my AME and I explained to him that, Hey, I got my first class medical pulled for me again. I'm going to be looking to get a third class on a special issuance. Um, at the time, the gentleman that I was talking about that retired the AME and I asked him, I said, I looked him in the eyes and I said, do you, um, do you ever anticipate the FAA change in regulation and potentially allowing insulin treated diabetics to fly, uh, on a first class? And he said, no, that's never going to happen. Just like that. Not like, not even like sympathizing with me. Like, I don't know, man, we'll, well, or, you know, I don't know, but maybe, maybe someday to keep your head up, nothing. He was just like, Nope, never going to happen. Pretty, pretty just straight to it. I'm like, okay. And so of course that was hard. Um, so I went home, I was, I was happy to have the third class at the time uh, you know, and I, at least it would allow me to fly. Cause at that point in my career, I was like, uh, you know, I, this is where I want to be. I'd rather be, I'd rather be flying instructing or doing something else with flying. than uh, if I can't be an airline pilot, like my dream was, uh, or is then I guess I, uh, you know, I guess I could fly these small planes. It's better than sitting in a cubicle. Right. And so I, I thought it wasn't the end of the world, but, uh, after about six months or so, uh, passes, I'm, um, after about six months or so passes, I was like, you know what, I, I bet there's something that, that can be done. Let me just talk to these people. Cause I was like, you know, I started instructing fast forwarding life. I got my, uh, CFI. I was in the middle of my CFI, uh, when I got diagnosed with the type one diabetes and again, going back, my parents are like, well, we spent all this money in school. You might as well finish it. Cause I didn't know if I wanted to be instructor my whole life. Right. And so I'm like, guys, I don't know if I want to do this. I mean, like I can't imagine myself instructing for a living forever. I can do it for a little bit, of course. Um, like we all do to get uh, a lot of us to get to, you know, our, the next step in our careers and whatnot and, um, I was like, I can't imagine being career instructors. And if you're a career instructor listening, God bless you, because it takes a special person to, to do that forever. And th- I'm thankful for people like you guys. Um, and so anyway, so yeah, so I, I get the uh, um, the third class, I finish off my CFI. And uh, I start working as an instructor. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm working as an instructor flying with people that don't know how to fly. Uh, and I'm working three, four flights a day, working anywhere from three to seven, seven and a half hours in these small airplanes per day. I was like, what is the difference between this and working at an airline, uh, you know, flying three, four times a day. Why is this so different? And so I was like, you know, I want to go and I want to talk to the FAA and potentially meet them if there's a possibility and just kind of just explain my story because, you know, my, my instructor was like, Hey man, he's like, I don't know if there's that many Pilots out there that fly for a living, like you do, like you that fly three, four, you know, flights a day. I mean, there's people that get their third class special issuance. Sure, they um, they fly, but you know, they're flying maybe once a month if they have their own airplane or if they rent an airplane occasionally they'll go fly. But you're doing this every single day, and you're stable. And not only are you stable, you have proof that you're stable by using your. You know, I I use my CGM, my continuous glucose monitor, to prove that I'm stable throughout the day. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to uh, I'm going to see if I can go to DC, Washington, DC, and, and I'm going to see if I can meet the FAA. Well, I'm in Washington, DC, and I didn't plan on honestly going to meet them specifically. I was there, uh, honestly, just to tour DC, like we all do. Um, and I was, you know, touring the monuments and, and whatnot. And, uh, we're, I'm, I'm with uh, an ex-girlfriend at the time and I'm, I'm touring and I see the, the department of transportation, the FA's is building and I'm in shorts and a t-shirt and just touring like a tourist. And she, and she, uh, she goes, hey, she goes, why don't you walk in and see if Dr. Uh, you know Duval, the deputy air surgeon, will talk to you? And I'm like, uh, no, are you kidding? Look how I'm dressed. I'm not going to go in there and you know and, and talk to the FAA right now. Like, I'm not ready for that. She goes, just go in there and see if he'll talk to you. So I go in, and I don't know if any of you have been, ever been in that building, but it's it's intimidating. There's the Department of Transportation, and there's the FAA on one side, and it's this huge building. And there's a security checkpoint, like a TSA uh, checkpoint, so to speak. And I walk in there and I look at the security guard. I'm like, "Hi, is uh, you know, is uh, is Doctor Duval here?" And uh, the security officer looks at me and goes, "He's like, who?" I'm like, "He's the deputy air surgeon for the FAA." And I'm like, "Uh, he, he? He's like, I, I don't know who that is, man." He's like, "This building is huge. There's a lot of people here. But anyway, if you want to get upstairs, you have to have an appointment." And so I'm like, "Okay, cool, thanks, yeah." So I walk back out. Um, and I was just like, okay, well, they're not going to let me upstairs. And she's like, well, how about you email, you know, the FA and, uh, um, and see if they'll talk to you. And at the time I was like, I don't think they're going to talk to me. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff. Like they, I'm sure they're going to need some time to plan an, uh, you know, a meeting and whatnot. And so I did, I emailed him and I'm at dinner that night and I get an email back from him within a couple hours. I was shocked. I had his email. And so I shot him an email and said, Hey, you know, I'm here from, from Phoenix. I'm just touring around DC and this is my situation. I would love to speak with you. I've been on a third class, uh, specialist ones for a few years now. And, uh, you know, I would, I would love to, uh, to chat with you and kind of share my story with you. And he emailed me back and he was so nice. He was like, yeah, I'd love to meet you. Why don't you come up tomorrow at a 12? I'm like done. So yeah, I didn't even have, uh, uh, I wasn't even prepared. I didn't even bring clothes like really to, um, to, to see him, you know, I was like, this is the FA. I should be wearing a suit. Well, anyway, I had enough to, to, to make it look presentable, but I get up there and, uh, you know, super nice guy. And I just want to call him out deputy air surgeon for, uh, the FA of aerospace medicine in, in Washington, DC. Dr. Ball is a solid guy. Uh, really, really nice. Um, so he, he brought me up there introduced me to some people in the office and him and I uh, sat in a conference room and, uh, kind of just explained my story, you know, that I'm a, that I'm a, uh, a, a flight instructor and I fly multiple times per day. And, uh, basically after about an hour and a half of him taking the time, it's funny because at first we sat down and, he said he didn't have too much time to speak, and then next thing you know, it's an hour and a half later, and we're still, you know, talking.
0: Yeah, that's funny and how it works like that. Huh? yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, he was, he was he was definitely generous and gave me a lot of his time, which I'm forever grateful for. Um, so yeah, we chatted, and, and uh, he told me that uh, you know in 2015 they had or 2015 to 2016, I don't remember exactly, but the FA had changed the wording on their website to they will consider uh, insulin-treated diabetic pilots on a case-to-case basis. Um, and so that's what's really sparked my interest to talk to him because I was like, okay, well, if my case doesn't cut it, then whose the, who's does? I fly a lot, you know, and I'm safe. I have the, I have the proof of it. And so uh, he says, you know, we were closer than we've ever been at the time, um, but we're not quite there yet. He goes, I said, do you think one day we will get there? And he goes, I think one day we will. There's a lot of work to still be done, but I do think that and this is 2016 in June when I'm talking to him. And he says, I think that one day we will get there um, at the moment. He goes, we're not quite there yet. And I was like, okay, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate the time you've given me. Um, let's keep in touch. And I had his phone number. Um, and so I saved it and it was, and I thought it was just like an FAA phone number, but it was his direct line uh, to his office. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. I can't believe I have this contact. And so of course I wasn't going to lose that. And you know, every, yeah, don't throw three, card four, out, huh? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that card didn't end up in the garbage. I learned from the first time. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I saved his phone number and I told him that I keep in touch with him. Um, I brought him a bunch of documents that day too. I printed off a bunch of documents and I had some stuff from him he didn't want it yet. He said, okay, uh, I tell you what, send it to me in a, in a, in a binder or or a folder or whatnot. And he goes, send me all this information. And so I just started supplying the FA with data, um, in the blind and, uh, you know, just kind of just started sending in what I thought was helpful. Notes from my endocrinologist, blood sugar readings, uh, you know, all this data that I was getting off my continuous glucose monitor and, uh, you know, next thing you know, um, you know, we're keeping in touch every three, four months. I'm checking in with him and asking if there's any change, you know, what do you guys think? Do you need any other information? And granted, he took my call almost every time. And if he didn't take my call, he responded to my voicemails. I mean, it was unbelievable. Not even in an email, just he would call me and it was just like, wow, this is incredible. I can't believe that I have this contact.
0: It's crazy Um, to think that your own personal doctor for the FAA that you had over in Arizona kind of kind of wrote it off. And then you're talking to the head doctor and he's like, yeah, man, let's talk. Let's make this happen. It's really interesting that he, he created more time for you. Someone that is arguably probably a busier has more on his plate. You know, it's, it's cool to see that you had someone, someone that high that was in your corner.
1: Definitely. He juggles a lot of things, obviously not just uh, type one diabetes. They're responsible for everything. Um, it all, it all goes through there. There's two offices, the main headquarters, uh, obviously the one in uh, DC, but they also have, uh, as most of you know, the Oklahoma city department, um, and so they kind of communicate with Oklahoma city and they work together, but yeah, they're, they're top dog. And so it was, it felt pretty, I felt pretty honored to be there in that building. Um, so yeah, so we, uh, we ended up chatting the next four years until now um, going back and forth and kind of just supplying him with data. And um, you know, it was always like, we're closer than we've ever been. We're getting there. We're closer than we've ever been Hang in there. You're doing fine. Um, and then, so I finally said, you know what, Dr. Well, I want to send you, um I just did this on my own. He didn't ask for this and I said, "Hey, I want to send you um a uh, a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet that I created." And in this Microsoft Excel spreadsheet is not only do, does he have my continuous glucose monitoring uh data that he gets, because if you just look at that data, it doesn't say when I'm in flight. It just says here are the times that I am at what blood sugar I'm at throughout the day, right? So what I did was I used that data from that that report and I created this Microsoft Excel spreadsheet to show what I'm doing, where my blood sugar is right before takeoff, an hour in a flight, two hours in a flight, and before landing. And then in the notes section, I would put in there what I did during the flight to maintain myself uh, between the levels of one to 300 uh, milligrams per deciliter, which is the range that the FAA wanted us to be in in flight. So I showed that uh, on a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet that I was stable and I was was safe. And so I did that for uh, a long time. And I, I kept supplying him with data, um, showing him in flight because I had this unique position as an instructor and I wanted to prove to him that I'm flying, you know, multiple times per day on insulin, have never had any episodes, um, to where I've needed medical attention. It's all been self-managed and it's all been within, within range and in a safe range in a safe, healthy range. And so he appreciated that because that wasn't even a thing. He never, he never asked for that. I just gave that to him, um, just to, you know, further my, uh, uh my point of being
0: safe. Um, that's crazy. I mean, that's really cool that you were able to, to have that for him and kind of give him the data because data speaks very loud in a situation like that. You know, like you can say, I can be safe. You can say that I can do this and everyone can say they can do it. But the fact is you need to prove that you can do it and you can't do that without data to back it up. And it's really great that you had that data to send to him so he could kind of use it in his evidence, use it in the fight to get this going. And I know that you said that they it was uh, first-class medicals on a case-by-case person. Were you included in that? Did they say that maybe with that data, you would be included in that? Or was it kind of like, hey, sorry, man, we actually, it's not going to work out for you. But once we pass the insulin and approve it, then you'll be ready to go.
1: No, and so they didn't really specify who was part of that case-to-case basis. And because diabetes is so unique that everybody's condition is is so different, right? No, No one person is the same. And so that's why they came up with that um, that case by case basis, uh, title, so to speak. Um, so it's, like I said, it's different for everybody. he didn't specify at the time if I was, uh, if I was part of that, you know, ones that they were looking at. And it wasn't until years later that he was telling me, you know, this was in 2016 when I met him. It probably wasn't until about 2018 ish, um, until I started getting the vibe that they were taking my data and they were looking at my data because I knew he was looking at my data because he would give me specific points in my data and we'd be discussing it over the phone. Um and so I knew he was interpreting my data and using my data, um, and so he. I think what really helped me was that Microsoft Excel spreadsheet to show that look, it's not just you know when I'm lounging at home I can maintain my blood sugar. It's also in the most critical phases of flight um, that I can do this as well. And so him and Dr. Berry, who's the federal air surgeon, uh, were really pleased with that. Apparently, and uh, I, I got a, actually yeah two days ago I got a phone call from the American Diabetes Association. Uh, telling me that he knows Doctor Deval, one of the gentlemen that called me said he knew Doctor Deval uh, pretty well, and he just wanted me to know. And I, I kind of unofficially knew, um, but he wanted me to know that uh, that it was my data that convinced uh, the FAA to persuade them to uh, start issuing first class medicals um, and, and feel confident in issuing these medicals. And of course, I kind of thought that. Um, later in life, after I got the medical and after I spoke to Doctor Deval, I kind of got that feeling, but I never officially heard it. He never told me that it was my data. Um, he did tell me multiple times that um, he does believe I'm going to be the first certified, um, and of course, I was hearing that for years, and so uh, I was excited for it. But uh, you know, it's, it's it's government talk. It takes a while for things to happen,
0: right. and the the government talk doesn't always come through in the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. I, you know, I, I wanted to believe the man because he really he really is a genuinely nice person. And so I think his hands were tied a lot, too. There was more that was over his head um, because they had to bring in specialists and, and diabetes educators and specialists and endocrinologists in order to make these decisions to assist them. Because they're surgeons, obviously, and they understand uh, practice, but they're, uh, they weren't specialists in diabetes, so to speak. So they brought in a team of experts uh, to help them assist uh, in interpreting this data and uh, making sure that the ones that they do certify are safe pilots.
0: What, so do they have a set process now for certifying first-class medicals for people that require insulin and type 1 diabetes?
1: Yeah, definitely. So the protocol was published in October, or November 2019, and so it's outlined there. Um, so from my understanding of the process that they go through up there is your data gets sent in. They pull it from an electronic file, and they interpret the data um, along with some specialists and, and uh some, uh, some consultants that they bring on. And so they have a team of experts that look at this data extensively and, and, and determine, uh, your level of risk. Um, and again, with this continuous glucose monitor, this was the missing piece of the puzzle. This was a game changer because imagine if you're a diabetic and you're testing your finger, or I'm sorry, you're testing your blood sugar with a finger stick, uh, and pricking your finger, you know, once every, or I'm sorry, uh, five times a day or 10 times a day, you only get your blood sugar reading at those specific times. Whereas if you're if you're using this device that I'm talking about and this continuous glucose monitor I'm referring to, it gives a full picture. It paints a full picture of what goes on in your day. So it gives the FA and it gives anybody interpreting the 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 risk level of a diabetic so much more uh, information to feed off of.
0: That's good. Yeah, I mean it's that, amazing. I'm, I'm glad that technology and they have the capability to do that now because like you said, if you can manage it, there's nothing different than you from a pilot that that doesn't have diabetes. If you can manage it and you can make sure that you are kind of mitigating the risks that come along with it, like you said, ultimately passing out in a a stressful situation, then why can't you go be a pilot? And why can't you fly for the airlines, you know? So it's crazy that they said it was your data. I mean, that has to feel just pretty cool to know that you played such a major role that can possibly help out so many future pilots. Yeah,
1: thank you. I appreciate that. I take a lot of pride in that. In fact, when uh, the support has been just is awesome, man. I can't even tell you uh, the amount of support I've gotten from Type One community, Type uh, Type One diabetes community, and diabetes in general, actually, and uh, and the aviation community over the last couple days uh, thanking me. And I knew that, like, I wanted to do this, and I told Doctor Duvall countless times. I said, "Look, I want to do something that you know. If you guys want to use my data, I can be a guinea pig, or or, uh, you know, you guys could be." or I can be your guinea pig. You can, you can go fly with me anytime you want. In fact, I'll pay for your airline ticket out to Phoenix and you can sit in the back seat and watch me instruct and you can monitor my blood sugars with me at the life. And he was like, Oh no, no need to do that. And, and I said, look, I want I, I want this for myself, of course. True. But more importantly, I want this to be a thing. You know what I mean? I don't want these kids that have type one diabetes to grow up and just know that, Hey, flying isn't for you. Um, I'm sorry, because you have type one diabetes. That's an automatic. No. Granted, there are not going to be everybody qualifying. Every diabetic out there that submits an application is, is not going to qualify for this. It's, it's pretty strict. It requires you to be, uh, if I'm being just honest, it's very controlled. And so they're, they're very careful on who they're certifying. Um, and as they should be, right? If you're going to be flying the general public around, the last thing I would ever want to do, and I'm sure you feel the same way, is jeopardize the safety of the general public. Our, our job is their safety. Um, so I told him that and I made that clear. I said, if I thought for one second that I was going to jeopardize the public safety by doing this, I would have walked away. I would have never even tried. I'm confident, and I know my abilities, and I have the data to prove it. And so I wanted to show that. Um, going back to what I told Doctor Duvall, I said, "You know, I'm look. I'm. I want this to be a change uh, in regulation for everybody to be able to have the chance to prove themselves." And he said, "No, I understand that." And uh, I was like, I want these kids growing up to have the ability to, you know, have something to look forward to, have an incentive. You know, I think this could be used in such a positive way because I got diagnosed at 21 where a lot of these kids, you know, they're 10 years old and there's a lot of kids that I've met. I do diabetes camps. I'm part of the uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. I do camps and whatnot and I volunteer my time. But um, a lot of these kids I've met, you know, they don't really understand what's going on. You're 10 years old. You just want to play. You want to eat pizza and have cake and, and be a normal kid at a birthday party, right? Like we all did. And so I think now it could be used as an incentive like, hey, you want to be a pilot. This is totally obtainable. This is something that you can definitely do. Take care of yourself, listen to your doctor, listen to your parents, um, listen to the professionals, and take your, your 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 illness seriously. And it's something that you can start from a very young age. And I think they can these kids can use this as an incentive to, uh, you know, to really, Um, Put themselves in a good position to later in life be able to do something like this, and so I'm just so happy that it's not just me who's qualified. There are a few others that came out um, that are certified as well, and I think this is going to really help all these people, um, all these kids especially that have this dream of uh, aspiring pilots um, to, you know, to one day live that dream that I uh, fully intend on following now.
0: Looking looking back, kind of on how you grew up and in your life, could you looking back, knowing you have type one diabetes now? Can you see the signs that maybe it was showing itself early in your life? Or was it just decided to rear its ugly head when you turned 21?
1: No, no. And that's the thing. It was about a two-week thing. Because I, I, there's no way I would have gone that long without feeling good. Um, I'm, I'm the type of person where I've got a cough. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll see a doctor. See what he tells me. Maybe I need some antibiotics. <laughs> I'm cautious about that stuff. Um, and so, no, I, I felt really bad for two weeks, two, three weeks, tops, and then I was finally like, okay, it's not going away. There's nothing that you know that I'm doing abnormally in my life that's uh, you know contributing to this. Why am I feeling this way? And so that's what uh, triggered me to go see a doctor. Um, so.
0: And another question is, when you were when you went to go meet up with the doctor, what was his name again? The doctor for uh, in Washington. Oh, Doctor uh, jo- Doctor Duval. He's the deputy. Air yes. When you went to go meet up with Doctor Duval and kind of uh, talking to him now that this is past and that you were the first certified. Uh, first class medical. Did he, do you guys ever have any conversations about like, Hey, did you ever think this was actually going to happen? Did you ever think that we would get here kind of when you first met me or is he kind of surprised and kind of just like excited that, uh, that you guys were able to get it done?
1: So, okay. So the regulation changed in November and he heard from me probably once every week and a half, two weeks ever since November. So, he would answer my calls, he would get back to me, so we knew each other. He would pick up my call. He knew my number wasn't coming. I stopped saying, "Hey, this is Pietro from uh from uh from Phoenix," cuz he just knew and he would answer the phone and say, "Hey, Pietro, how's it going?" And so, and so um, you know, he'd tell me, "Oh, we're, we're close. He's like this takes six this does take a little bit of time." Originally, he even thought that it was going to be released faster after November. I was like, "Okay, cool. By Christmas, I'm going to the airlines. This is awesome." You know, after Christmas, I'm going to spend Christmas with my family, In January 1, I'm going to an airline, you know, especially with the situation being what it was uh, just a few weeks ago, how they were hiring like crazy. And so I'm like, uh, you know, I'm going to go to an airline. This is awesome. I'm going to be able to live the dream. Well, then the new year comes. And I told him, I said, Hey, I'm going to come up to DC and meet you in person. Cause he kept telling me we're close. I said, Hey, I'm going to come up to DC. I'm going to meet you. I'd like to meet you in person again. Um, and shake your hand since we're close to this medical, just tell me when you think it's ready. And I'll, I'll book an airline ticket. Even if I have to do it last minute overnight to this, to, to me, this meant the world. And so he's like, okay, just give me a little bit more time. We're still working um, just give it some time. It takes, it does take a little bit of time. We're meeting with some consultants and some specialists and, um, and some endocrinologists. So just be patient. It'll, it'll come is what he said. Uh, yeah. And so Monday came around, uh, I'll never forget it Four 13, 20. Um, I'm driving and I'm with my girlfriend and uh, I'm driving in the car and Dr. Deval told me about two weeks ago, he said, um, you know, we're, we're very close. Uh, you know, you, you're, we're very close and we're, this is, this is, this is going to happen. The train has left the station. It will happen. Just be patient. We're very close. Um, all your data has checked out in favor. Um, that your, uh, um, your diabetes data has checked out all in favor. And so I'm like, okay, great. Well, you know, what's taking so long? Um, and so he he kept telling me the same thing that we're close, we're close, we're close. Well, he said, I said, Doctor, are you gonna uh, you gonna send me a medical in the mail or how does this work? And I just was kind of digging for some information. And he said, No, you'll probably get it. He goes, I think what we're gonna do is just digitally uh, email it to you, and you'll be able to open it right there and print it from there. And I was like, oh, Okay, great, sounds good. Well, fast forwarding to mo- this past Monday on uh, on the thirteenth of April, um, I'm driving with my girlfriend and I get an email on my smartwatch and I see it go off and it says James Devall, and I'm like, Whoa, and so. Yeah, no, no. And so I didn't even know because I couldn't open. Obviously I was driving. I just quickly glanced at my watch and then I get another email that goes off immediately. I'm like, oh my God, two emails in a row. What's going on? One must be a document. So I start freaking out and my girlfriend's like, okay, you should not be driving or now. pull over please. And so I did. And so I got to a safe spot on the road, you know, seconds later, um, I opened this, uh, email up and it was funny cause it was, there was this password that you had to uh, use to log into the email, uh, cause it was a secured email and, and that email was a seven page document of the special issuance. And of course I didn't even read. And to be completely honest with you, I still haven't read it. It's been four days. I still have not read this letter. I've been so excited about just the last page of the, of the, of the, uh, of the letter that has my medical in it. And I scrolled down, I saw my name on it with first class and I just, I just started screaming and crying like, like hysterically. My girlfriend was, she recorded me, but, um, yeah. And so I was just super excited and overwhelmed. And I didn't even give myself a chance to just like breathe for a second and calm down and just like kind of just take it in and enjoy the moment. Immediately, what do I do? I pick up the phone and about 45 seconds after I read that my name was on that medical, I call Dr. DeVaul. And he picks up and he says, um, and of course I'm crying. I'm 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 thanking him. I said, You've forever changed my life. And I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for following through with what you said you were gonna do. Um, and I just want you to know I'm I'm forever grateful for all the efforts you put in because I know you really believed in me and this, this really means the world to me. I can't wait to start this career and we will definitely keep in touch. he said, Pietro, he goes, if I didn't shed a tear when I emailed this out to you, I would be lying to you. And so, yeah, it was cool. It was just an awesome moment. And so since then I haven't been able to sleep, believe it or not. It's been four days. (laughs) You might want to work on that, man.
0: (laughs) Get some sleep. You're going to crash. You're going to sleep for like 48 hours.
1: Definitely. Yeah, oh my God, it's just crazy, man. I, I thought the opposite. I thought once I get this, I'm going to be able to rest easy, you know, cause I've had lots of nights where I would stay up and just thinking about this, you know? And so the last few days have just been crazy. The amount of support I've gotten, like I said, from, uh, the social media that this is, uh, gone across. I did an interview with CNN and um, uh, the American Diabetes Association, and now this podcast, and it's just been people have been reaching out to me from every corner, and the support has just been incredible. I can't be thankful. I can't be more grateful for everybody.
0: Well, you need you need to live it up because you went through a very tough period, a very tough time, where like we talked about earlier, the fight or flight. A lot of people kind of kind of sense this, and they they see this adversity, and they just think it's impossible, and they choose not to fight, and they choose to run, and they choose to do something else. But you stuck with it even when people told you it was impossible. Your own doctor said, no, this will never happen, but you were still able to, to make a way and to, to have a plan and do this. And actually, I mean, your, your current girlfriend might not like this, but shout out to your ex-girlfriend for telling you to go in and do the meeting. Like, that's amazing. Like, I mean, (laughs) good for her, mad props. She really did play a, a play a
1: massive part in this whole thing. Um, she really did help out and I have her to thank for sure. And if she's listening, uh, thank you to you, um, for, or pushing me to do that. But, um, you know, I just want to read you this one post if I can. Um, it's, uh, again, i on social media, everybody's just reaching out and this meant the world to me. This was the best feeling in the world, really. I mean, like you, it, it gave me the chills when I read it's, it. gives me chills when I read this. And it says, um, it's for some, from somebody on, uh, on, on Facebook that I don't even know. And it says our son, uh, with type one diabetes is now 11 and says he wants to be a pilot. We haven't had the heart to tell him he wasn't allowed to be because of his, because of diabetes. Now we'll never uh, have excuse me <laughs> emotion says uh, now we'll never have to have that conversation. We are so excited about this advancement uh, with diabetes, and so that just meant the world to me to know that there's kids out there um, that are going to have this opportunity and not have to have a blanket no on it and not be told no, just because they have diabetes. There's something that they can do about it, and if they want it bad enough, they're going to achieve this goal, and I fully believe in everybody um, that that's going to come through. I I do, I believe that there's going to be so many people that this benefits and I'm so excited um, to have played my, my part.
0: I'm excited too, man. I mean, like I said earlier, um, you handled it as well as anyone could and you, you fought for not only for yourself, but for that 11 year old that wants to be a pilot as well. This this is amazing. And it's part of kind of aviation history. I mean, you you did your part and it's really cool to have you on. It's really good. Cool to hear you tell your story. And I can't wait for coronavirus to be over and the airlines, the high be hiring again for you to get that opportunity to go fly for an airline corporate, wherever you want. Cause I, I really hope that you get whatever you want out of this career. Cause you deserve it, man. I appreciate that so much. Thank you, Justin. Yeah. It's, been, uh,
1: it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I'm like, like you said, with this whole coronavirus thing. Uh, yeah. It's kind of an ironic time, isn't it? Um, it is
0: right. It seems uh, to me w- when you get your good news, there seems to be kind of underlying bad news as well, but it will pass. You will get your opportunity. I promise you that.
1: Definitely, I've, I've spoken to many pilots over these last couple of days, uh, as well as that Alaskan uh, captain I spoke or Alaska captain I spoke to uh, last night, and he told me, "Hang in there. He's been through it." And, and in fact, I've, I saw I w- you and I are both old enough, and we've been in aviation long enough to know um, what it's like for jobs not to be out there in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, when when nobody was hired. We remember you and I remember what that's like. Um, and so a lot of these newer pilots, obviously you've talked about this on the podcast before where, you know, it's been just, uh, blue skies and tailwinds all along. Um, and so now that, you know, things have kind of come to a halt and the in- industry is changing. I'm confident that one day I'm, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm optimistic that one day it's gonna, uh, it's gonna pass and things will start to return to normal slowly, but one day we will get back to where we were. And when that day comes, I'm just so excited to see the light at the end of this tunnel and that now I have my options open and I don't have to just restrict myself to third class uh, privileges and I'm just beyond thrilled.
0: I'm excited for you too, man. And you're right. It is going to happen. We have kind of not only, I mean, we have seen the, we have seen a bottom before we've seen the high and now we're seeing another bottom. There's other people like that Alaska guy that's probably faced furloughs that's seen multiple furloughs that's seen a lot of stuff in his career. So this is just going to prove that this is a cyclical industry. I mean, even if we all thought that it would never get this bad, <laughs> and it's shocking that it did, but aviation is truly a cyclical industry, and there is a bottom, and there is a top, and there is a the moments in between. So we're going we're gonna to keep navigating it the best we can, and the best thing to do is just remember that you got into this career, and this isn't just for you, this is for everyone. You get into this career for the love of flying, for the love of doing what you want to do as a flying an airplane, not for the money. And if you, you come into this career wanting just the money, you're going to be thoroughly disappointed because the money is not always there. And is, the good money is usually not until you're, what, 55, 60 years old when you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars, like up in the 400s uh, flying for Delta. So, I mean, the money still takes a while to get, but it's a great career. It will come back and it'll still be a good career in the future.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm just excited. I have 35 years of a career left. So Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I'm Absolutely. so excited! It's
1: not, I'm not 60 going into this. I'm I'm 30, and I'm I'm beyond excited to to one day start that
0: that journey. Definitely. Well, I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you, if you don't mind. It's just okay. going to be uh, <laughs> very quick questions, and you say the first thing that comes to your mind.
1: Okay. I'll right. try my best.
0: <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite airplane? Uh, seven eight seven. Okay. What's your favorite? Do you have like a favorite GA aircraft? GA aircraft. Uh, can we talk corporate jets, or is it uh, just? You can do both corporate jets and say like small pistons.
1: Okay. Um,
0: shoot. Let's see.
1: Uh, well, Falcon 2000 is, is pretty special to me. Uh, first jet ride. So I would say the Falcon is probably my favorite corporate jet. A favorite, uh, general aviation, small plane. Uh, I don't, I've never flown it, but I really like the Piper cub. Uh, I think go. that'd be awesome
0: to fly one day. That'd be cool. Yeah. You can buy one of those one day, right? When you're an airline pilot. Yeah. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get to, wait till I'm 60 though, to make that kind of thing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, what's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen?
1: Oh, I know you hate the Piaggio, and I'm, I'm <laughs> on board with you. Italians <laughs> typically make some pretty uh, aesthetically pleasing things. but The Piaggio not is not bad. one of those. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. Um, that's awesome. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's probably one of the uglier ones uh, for sure. Or the, what, have you ever heard of a Westwind jet? Yeah, I have.
0: Those are interesting so, too.
1: Yeah, I do not like those. I really like the Challenger jets, maybe because they look like airliners, and I'm a big airliner fan. Yeah, but the
0: Challengers are cool. What's something that you wish you knew before you became a pilot?
1: Ooh, before I became a pilot? Well, I don't have any 121 experience, so I can't say the amount of time that you spend in hotels and all the other answers that you get. Um, so I, I would say, as a flight instructor, definitely like I wish I knew that these planes weren't air conditioned, um, that I'm <laughs> That's flying a good point. In, the, in the desert, <laughs> honestly. That's a very good point. Uh, yeah, no, I just fly. I've, I've done five summers in an Arizona. Uh, and an and an Arizona or five Arizona summers flight instructing and without air conditioning and anybody that's flown here in Phoenix in the summer knows that it is not easy and doing you know two to four flights a day when it's really hot like that it's it's definitely brings its own challenge.
0: Yeah, the job I have now, flying the latitude, is the first plane I've ever flown that has a bathroom, has heat, has working heat, and has air conditioning. So it takes a while, even after you get out of that, after you've had a flight, flight. Yeah, it, it's pretty yeah. cool. Everything kind of kind of is easier when you have some air conditioning for sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Here's one. Who in the industry would you like to meet most?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, in the industry, I'd like to meet most. Um, I might just, I'm a, <laughs> cactus 1549, maybe Sully. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, that'd be cool. Actually he retired though. So if I come across him at some point, that'd be pretty, pretty cool to meet
0: him oh, and cool. uh, have him share his experience. Absolutely. What is your favorite thing about aviation?
1: Uh, favorite thing about aviation. Um, just the freedom, you know, just being able to obviously VFR, but go where you want, uh, when you want that freedom of just having those wheels lift, the, lift the ground. And it just, the sense of freedom you get from flying is just, it, it's like no other feeling I've ever gotten in my life. What's the hardest approach you've ever had to fly? Hardest approach. Hardest uh, approach? let's see. Um, yeah, you put me on the spot. Uh, I got to, someone's got uh, to. Well, I- yeah, no am kidding. Uh, well, it's not that challenging, uh, but it was, I guess it would be one of the harder ones. I flew a, a, an ILS into uh, Orange County down to minimums, close to minimums, actually, yeah. um, with my student on board. I was teaching him uh, simultaneously, and that, that can be a challenge when you're teaching <laughs> and trying to do your best and look good.
0: Yeah, and you're like, please work, please work, please work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't go miss, don't go miss. Right, oh, right, exactly. What's your favorite yeah. airport to land at?
1: Favorite airport, honestly, Orange County. I love it. I just, you feel you feel like a million bucks in there until you get to the FBO and everybody's with this fancy corporate jet, and you're in this little <laughs> 172, and you're, they're parking your airplane underneath their wings. Yeah, right.
0: Or a mile away from the door, and you got to walk there in the hot in the hot weather. <laughs> oh yeah, way. definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah,
1: Orange County's pretty cool. They treat you like a king, though, regardless of what kind of airplane you come yeah. in. Uh, their FBOs there are really, really nice.
0: That's good. What's the what's your least favorite airport to land at?
1: Oh, least favorite. Uh, <laughs> um, if anybody's listening that flies in Phoenix, there's this airport, uh, it's called Heel Bend. Um, and uh, it's this airport in the middle of the desert. And the only reason that a lot of flight schools here in the valley or in Phoenix go to uh, is just because it's it meets the 50 nautical mile cross-country requirement. And a lot of these students obviously like to save money in training. And so they want to go to the closest airport possible. And it's just this, this dumpy airport in the middle of nowhere, nothing around it. Um, just literally land there and come right back, and it's just—I'm just so tired of doing that
0: flight. <laughs> <laughs> You're almost done, man. You're almost done. <laughs> yeah, so. uh, would you rather fly IFR or VFR?
1: Um, IFR or VFR, definitely IFR, no doubt. Um, I, I'm sure one day I'll feel uh, slightly different and say, you know, that you always hear these stories of these airline captains saying, "Man, I wish I could go back to flying that small 172, just slow and slow and and absorbing it all and uh, and whatnot," but. I I love IFR. That's, that's, that's what I got into this for. And it sounds funny, but I love being uh, told what to do from ATC uh, and, you know, flying in the flight levels and experiencing the weather and just hearing the airliners on the frequency. It is, it's just, it's a totally different world. Totally different world.
0: That's a cool thing. Uh, What is your favorite airline livery? Uh,
1: favorite airline livery. Uh, let's see. um, De- actually, you know what? That's not even that, that hard. I don't know why I had to talk, think about that. Uh, American. I, I really like American. I, I, as a kid, just seeing that big shiny jet, uh, just taxi around O'Hare and, and it's just, it's pretty iconic. And, and to this day, actually, you know, it grew on me. Their new, their new uh, uh, livery I like, I like as well. It took me some time to, to, uh, to come, acro- uh, come across it and like it, but uh, yeah, I definitely like Americans.
0: Agreed. I'm a big American fan for their livery. Uh, long trips or short trips? Ready to fly multiple short legs or one long leg? Um, multiple
1: short legs or one long leg
0: at the moment. I want to do a lot of up
1: and down. I want to have a lot of experience. I obviously like most pilots. I love takeoffs and landings, especially landings. Uh, so at the moment I'm going to tell you as a, as a 29 year old, I'd like to do a lot of the up and down. I'm sure one day, uh, you know, we'll get to the point you and I were, we just want to sit and cruise for seven, eight hours. Um, and, uh, um, you know, but at the moment right now, yeah, definitely uh, short legs.
0: What's the hardest check right. You ever had.
1: Hardest checkride, um, probably the CFI. Um, the CFI uh, initial check ride. that was that was definitely difficult. I had a pretty difficult examiner. Um, yeah, and uh, to this day, him and I keep in contact, and he's he was really hard. I mean, and quick story on him: he uh, he, I finished the, the check ride and I just had this huge sigh of relief because it was eight hours of an uh, oral. And then the next day we, I know, and the next day we went to go fly, and I passed it. And then when I, I go to fly, and it was a two point something hour flight. And with an examiner there and a little Piper arrow um, complex. And then I shut the airplane down and I don't, and I, and I'm just like, I, I breathed this sigh of relief. I just remember it was just so relieving after all these months. Cause it was like, I just had a lot of emotion at that time because of the diagnosis and where it came about. But I just like kind of just dropped my head and I was just like, so like relieved. Cause I knew I passed, he told me, uh, he, you know, he told me we're done and just taxi back in. And so I assumed I passed because by regulation, he has to tell me I failed. And so he didn't tell me that. So I knew, and I was so relieved. And so I just put my head down. And he goes and he taps over on my kneeboard and says and looks at my checklist and says, you're not done until you're done. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. What, what, the engine shut down. We're done. And he goes, you've got to say engine shut down checklist complete. I'm just like,
0: get right. over yourself, dude.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, OK, yeah. all right. So I, I did. I said that we walked back in. He shook my hand and, uh, you
0: know, he's a, he's a nice guy, but he's he's a, he's a sickler. He's, he's a sickler for details. So I mean, definitely. see That's a good thing, though. Yeah, that's definitely a good thing. Uh, here are I got two more for you. What is the biggest win of your career? I'm guessing I know the answer to this one, but you should say it again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I win of my career uh, four thirteen twenty when I got my medical back. That was no doubt not not just my career, but probably my life. Greatest accomplishment of my life, and a day I'll never day I'll never forget for sure.
0: And last one is what is the biggest regret of your career?
1: Oh, the biggest regret. Yikes. Um biggest regret. I don't have many to be honest with you. Um, but I could say that, like I told you earlier, maybe that I could have started, um, flight training just a little bit later because I could have saved my parents a lot of money. Sorry, mom, dad, but, (laughs) (laughs) but if you started uh, later,
0: what do you think if you would have had the effects of diabetes and then you never would have started in general? So maybe when you started it as you did and the timing that you did was actually the perfect time for you to start.
1: Yeah, that's, that's also true too. It wasn't until three years later that I, uh, that I got diagnosed, but that, no, that's a really good point that maybe if I would have started and I would have got diagnosed before I started flight school, maybe I would have never invested the money and my parents wouldn't have been like, Hey, you should probably finish since you started. So no, that is a good point. So answer your question Then I don't know if I have any regrets.
0: <laughs> that's good then. You, you, you own your story and that's the best that you can do. Everyone has difficulties in their career. Some difficulties are proven to be worse than others. Like when they're told that they just can't fly in general and can't get a first class medical, but you handle the adversity in your life to the best of your ability and you choose to fight, you choose to flight and I'm glad that you chose to fight because you had made a difference for not only yourself, but like we said, a bunch of future aviators. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your story. I know that it's been a difficult path for you and I know that you're looking forward to getting on with an airline and doing what you want to do and living your dream. So I hope this passes soon and I hope that we can see you out there uh, flying an airline one day
1: thanks uh thanks man i really appreciate that Justin, and uh i hope to come across uh pass with you at some airport one day too as well and meet you it'd be a it'd be a pleasure
0: thanks for having me on man yeah anytime i appreciate you coming on and uh yeah it's been great talking to you man all right thanks everybody thanks a lot man yeah and that is a wrap of episode number 107 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Aviation, thank you so much for listening today. It is truly an inspirational story and just to hear what he had to go through and, and just being told that you can't do this and this is something that you can't do when you want to do this for so long, but not giving up. It's just something that I, I love to see and I'm, I'm happy for him. And I, I hope that uh, coronavirus gives him the opportunities that he deserves in the career that he deserves and what he's going to work for. So I look forward to keeping up Pietro and seeing what he's doing. But as I said earlier, please leave Review on iTunes. Check us out on Patreon. We got a couple hats left. So if you want a hat, go ahead and soup those up. Don't know if we'll get those back for sometime soon. And uh, choosing my five reviews is proving to be harder than I thought. There are no ways to really prove who did this or to get in contact. So I'm trying to get creative with that and figure out what I'm doing there. But nonetheless, I will still be giving out five shirts to my five favorite reviews. It just might be a little more difficult than I originally thought. Aviation Nation, I hope you guys are staying safe. I hope you guys are doing the best you can in this quarantine time. Up on Thursday, we have Pilot Annie's podcast. So Pilot Annie, go ahead and follow her. She has a great story as well, and I look forward to